Okay. Thank you for coming back. Um, how's that? Is that okay? Good. Thank you. Right. Let's just begin by saying a prayer together, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the way that you've blessed us in our discussion groups. And we pray now that you'll open our hearts to hear the words that you have to say to each one of us. Father, you know everyone here and you know our needs and our anxieties. We pray that you'll bless each one of us as you know our needs. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. You know, one of the great things about standing here is I don't have to sit on those wretched benches. <laughs> you need an osteopath, don't you? I think Alex is somewhere implicated in this, just to draw up business, I think. In, the, um, in Kendall, where I live, we have a, a, the arts centre, it's a brewery arts centre, and they uh, had this idea that people could sponsor a seat in the theatre and you could, put any, you could put a message on the seat and you, a lot of people just put their family name on and say this has been you know, donated by so-and-so. But uh, the one that I really like is somebody who had a kind of Shakespearean turn of mind and went for a clever quotation. Uh, and on their seat it says, O bottom, thou art transformed. <laughs> Sorry, that's lowered the tone to start with, hasn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, this, this, you know, this doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. So, but when I do that, see, something magical happens, doesn't it? <laughs> it's because Pete presses his button when I do that. No, I didn't do it that time. That's what I want to know about. How do we, how do we come to this great blessing where this is a reality in our lives? Well, you've been talking about things that help you. Um, will you just open your Bibles? This is a very familiar verse. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. You might even be able to tell me what it is. How do we learn to work in the power and strength of God and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Um, you know this so well, don't you? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Rob Allen, some years ago, uh, did a session at Hoddesdon about how to, how to read the Proverbs and how to use the Proverbs. And Rob said something that I've always found very valuable. He said, Proverbs are meant to be lived with. You need to carry them around with a piece of paper or just keep them in your, in your purse. Or Nowadays, the best place to put them is attached to your mobile phone, right? Because everybody's always having a look at that. Because you've got to keep them in your mind, you've got to think about them, mull them over, spend some time with them. And this is about how to work in the Lord's strength. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But the next bit is the crucial bit. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Okay, if we, if we really believe that we, that we have this 
transforming relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to raise our awareness of his presence, his living presence in our lives. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And those are the the things that I think we need to think about. Uh, And I've given you the chance to talk in your discussion groups about what does it for you. And I just want very briefly to say, what helps me? Uh, And in no particular order, it's these. First of all, special places. There are some places that I go back to where which have become very uh, precious to me. There's a place in the Newlands Valley that I like to go back to and and say some prayers because at different times in my life um, I've I've spent time there and felt very blessed. And so it, it has an importance to me. And I think that for Jesus there were... Um, Jesus had a special place, I think. If you look at John chapter 10, a time when Jesus is, is depressed and desperately unhappy because his message has not been received, it says that he left that place and he went to Bethabara. And Bethabara is the place where Jesus uh, was baptised. And across the Jordan to Bethabara. And he heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son. And that was, that was a special place for him, I think, and a place where he goes back to um, when he wants to, um, to remember and to, and to receive strength. So that's, that's the first thing. Special places, you can't always be nipping off to the Newlands Valley near Keswick. You have to, I, I, so I have special places during my working day, places where, I won't tell you where they are, but you might be able to guess. <laughs> Places where I go very frequently, and um, and and I'm reminded just to just to speak to the Lord. So uh, that's one thing. Special places. Make make some space for yourself in your working day. Another thing is prayer, obviously. And uh, I don't know if anybody has a problem about prayers to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do, talk to me about that. And again, I'll send you some notes that I find helpful. Um, but I, I couldn't get through the day without talking to the Lord Jesus. Um, there are sometimes when I have long prayers and sometimes very short ones. But there's a particular kind of prayer that I find helpful in Judaism. We can learn a lot from Judaism, I think. Uh, there are some bad things about it when it becomes legalistic, but there are some good things. And there's a group of prayers in Judaism called Barakot. Uh, in Hebrew, the word Baruch means blessed and a lot of um, a lot of prayers begin blessed are you and they're prayers of thanksgiving and so during my day things that delight me and things that um, I want to celebrate in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, I find very helpful It, it makes me aware in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. And so, beautiful sights, acts of kindness, Cumberland sausage, sunsets, meerkats, grandchildren, all those things that bring you delight, share them with the Lord Jesus Christ. Celebration of everyday things. That helps me. And people. Um, In the relationships that I have at work and people that I meet, it's good to to look for the ways that the Lord Jesus wants you to relate to those people. 
I'm sure that Jesus was very special in many ways, but one of the ways that he was very special was that he saw what was good in people and helped them to believe in themselves. And so, when Zacchaeus is up a tree and Jesus says, it's time to, for us to have a talk. That, and, and, and Do you remember what it says at the end of that encounter? It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is good. And I think that defines what Jesus does to people. He looks for that which is lost. Sorry. Thank you, Sylvia. <laughs> the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And it's that, it's that goodness which is lost within people that Jesus looks for, gives them the confidence to believe in themselves. Says to Zacchaeus, you've been like this, but you're not going to be like that anymore. You're going to change. Things are going to be different from now on. And because Jesus believes in Zacchaeus, he believes in himself, and his life is transformed. And so, the way that we talk to people is a great challenge to us. You know, I've heard lots of people talk about outreach, and very often they talk about people who are in extremists, uh, drunks and drug addicts and people like that, and okay, we have a duty to them. But the biggest challenge for us here, for all of us, is how do we talk to ordinary people who are quite happy doing what they do, being happy what they do, with the lives that they have. It's the biggest challenge we have. And the thing that's going to change them is to bring the presence of a living Lord Jesus into their lives, the fruit of the Spirit, all those things which help people in their everyday life, help them to believe in themselves, help to encourage them and make things a bit easier. So, people, ordinary people. Uh, and worship helps me enormously. And I'm looking forward to tonight uh, to spend some time with these people here. To do some terrific work. The ministry that you do is marvellous and, and is a great encouragement. God says, if anyone loves me... Sorry, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching... My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So the presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ brings with it the presence of a loving Father as well. But what about that test that we were talking about? I don't know what you think it is. But I know a thing or two about making tests because it's what I do for a living. I'm a biomedical scientist and I'll show you some tests that I make. Um, this is a microscope slide of a, a piece of tissue and some of the cells here look a bit dodgy. Um, the ones that you can see that are very deeply pigmented look like um, the, uh, the cancer called melanoma. And if you want to find out whether it really is melanoma, then you have to do a test. And what you do is you look for a, the defining characteristic. Um, and in this case, what we do is we expose it to an antibody prepared against human melanoma B. And that's what you see. Can we go back one, Pete? That's without the, that's without the antibody and the next one that's with the antibody, and you, the, the cells which are disclosed there as, uh, um, with the brown stain, that shows that they've locked onto 
an antibody prepared against melanoma. He didn't realise you were going to get a lecture on immunohistochemistry this morning, but there you are, throw it in for free. Um, but the principle is, that's how the test works. You look for the defining characteristic and you see if it's expressed. Now, what's the defining characteristic of God? You'll find it in the first epistle of John, chapter 4, and we're just going to read that. I'm going to read from verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's the defining characteristic of God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God... We're back to this word again. God dwells in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we dwell in him, and he dwells in us, because he has given us his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he dwells in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love, whoever dwells in love, dwells in God, and God dwells in him. You see how um, the Apostle John is repeating this word. He's learned the lesson from the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that John used to be one of the sons of thunder. He was the man who wanted to call down an airstrike on Samaritan villages because they rejected the Lord Jesus. And now he's the apostle of love. How did that happen? It happened because of the transforming friendship, because of a life lived in the presence of a living Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17, in this way God is made, sorry, in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also loves his brother. Right, so let's just go. That's the defining characteristic. And the next one, that's all the times again that the Apostle John is using this word, the favourite word of the Lord Jesus Christ, to teach us something very special, the abiding presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're back to the same lesson, aren't we? That if we have that characteristic within us, that we will demonstrate it in our lives. And there's an interesting verse there. 
There is no fear, verse 18, in love, but perfect love drives out fear. A few years ago, we uh, were, I can't remember where it was, we were speaking somewhere, and a lady came along, I remember her very well, her name was Violet, she'd been working in Czech Republic, but she'd been working in uh, Czechoslovakia, and it's still a communist, hardline country. And uh, she didn't come to talk to me, she came to talk to Sue, because Sue was doing something very similar. And Violet had gone to Czechoslovakia with some religious tracts and some Bibles, and she made a, an appointment to meet with a student who was going to help her distribute these. But in fact, he turned her into the authorities, and she ended up in a Czech prison. And nobody knew she was there, and she didn't know what was going to happen to her. But she said she took great comfort from this verse, perfect love drives out fear. And she said only, only, the only perfect love in the world is the love of God. And if we're confident in that, we're confident in everything. She was in there for four days and then eventually they, uh, they let her out and deported her. If we're afraid of God, we'll always live in fear of judgment, always be burdened by guilt, we have to just get our minds around the fact that God loves us to distraction. I was reading a book by S.J. Hill and he said when his sons went to, went to live away from home, he used to go and stand in their bedroom because he missed them so desperately. I relate to that so much because when Rob went away to university, our, our son, I used to go and stand in his bedroom and just feel really glum, you know, and, and I missed him enormously. and. Uh, and I still love him to bits. And God feels that way about you. Just get your mind around it. Perfect love drives out fear. Always remember that God loves you with a passion. Um, I was talking to Nick Willis about this first, and he told me a story. I'll tell you, because you look as, as if you need cheering up a bit. Um, his story is about two young people who are getting married. You're getting married, aren't you? When is it going to happen? Right, so this story is for you, just to think about this. Okay. The minister who's taking the marriage stands and the bride is in front of him and she looks full of anxiety. And he thinks, what can I do to put her mind at rest? So quick as a flash, he takes out a bit of paper and he writes a note and he puts down 1 John 4.18. And he turns to the best man and he says, when I finish speaking, I want you to get your Bible, open it up and read this verse. Tell the bride, this is a message from God and it will help her. And so the best man looks at checks in his Bible. Unfortunately, he mixes up the Gospel of John with the Epistle of John. And so... The minister finishes speaking and the best man stands up and he says, I've got a message from God which is for the bride. <laughs> the fact is you have had five husbands. <laughs> and the man you have now is not your husband. Love, the trouble with talking about love is 
it, it's a bit nebulous, isn't it? We like it because it gives you a kind of nice warm glow and we don't think we have to do very much but it has to change people's lives it has to be love in action I want to show you something you know, this <laughs> when I do this it doesn't actually reach that far you know but it's, uh, if I do that Pete presses his button um, when uh, Sue first began going to Bulgaria it was the well at first it was a hardline communist country I <laughs> Um, I abandoned her there once. I was supposed to go to Bulgaria with Sue, and I double booked to do a youth weekend with Dave there. And, uh, <laughs> and so I ended up in Leeds, and um, Sue ended up in, in Bulgaria, abandoned, as usual. And um, I wanted to tell you, though, about love in action. But, uh, as I say, the, when uh, Sue began to go, when I began to go, the country was bankrupt. This is the biggest department store in Sofia, in the capital city. The, the store is called Sum. It's a catchy name, isn't it? <laughs> right? And uh, if you go there now, it's like a traffic centre. It's just full of, you know, glitzy stuff and uh, whole lots of shops. But at the time, it was bare. And the top floor I remember going to, and they had these two bolts of cloth and one enormous pair of trousers. You remember this pair of trousers? The waist was about this big. They'd obviously never been able to sell them. And that's all they had left in the entire store. And so a lot of um, what happened uh, to start with was just taking stuff. This is love in a suitcase. And here's all the stuff that, uh, that we were taking. This is Sue's suitcase. And um, obviously there's a lot of Bibles there. The Bible hadn't been printed in Bulgaria since about 1945, I think it was. And so it was important to take the Word of God there and it was important to take some of these other things. But there's also some daft stuff in here. This is Sue. There's two, you know, bear in mind what your weight limit is. There's two kilograms of muesli there. <laughs> And I think there's a place in, uh, in the way that we show God's love to people for a bit of crazy love. You know, somebody's written a book called Crazy Love, and I don't think it's actually about this. But there is room for a bit of crazy love, and sometimes the thing that makes people laugh is just as important as the thing that makes them healthy or well, or whatever it is. And two kilograms of muesli, when that means that you don't have any room for anything in your suitcase apart from a toothbrush and a few changes of knickers. That's crazy love. Um, and I, I remember another occasion when um, I was doing this soul-destroying job where I had to get up at 4.20 in the morning. And I, I was telling John and Sue Bottomley about this. And, uh, and they were commiserating with me. And I said, this is just killing me, this job. And at 4.20 the next morning, I got a phone call <laughs> And it was John and Sue, and John Bottomley said, I just wanted to show you this verse in Thessalonians that says, we shouldn't be asleep, we should be awake. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd set their alarm clock for, you know, to wake them up at this dreadful time in the morning and just to, just to come alongside. That's crazy love, and that's important. And that made such a difference to me. It's a, Paul says God loves a cheerful giver and the word is hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Go and be creative in your crazy love. 
there's something else. I mean, obviously, there's some medicines in the suitcase as well, and uh, um, there's a big. There were no medicines in Bulgaria. There was nothing to treat people with. We were sending over just the dregs of people's medicine cabinets to be sorted out in the pharmacies. And there was a, a woman who was coming along to um, some of the meetings there, and her husband was desperately ill, the heart condition. And uh, so one of the things in this suitcase is a big bottle of Tenif uh, beta blockers, uh, out of date, but absolutely vitally important. We managed to scrounge these from someone. And uh, that was important, just to, just to meet somebody's physical needs before you meet their spiritual needs. This is the result that... Um, living with a living Lord doesn't help you to take decent photographs. This is, <laughs> uh, this is Sue cutting the heads off uh, these important people. That this is Rossi Popova and Emmanuel and their daughter Ekaterina, and uh, Ross. Ross is now our sister in Christ, and Emmanuel, whose chin you can see, is still very much alive, and that's because of that suitcase full of stuff. Um, it's important to meet people's real needs and then you can, after you've shown them the kindness then you can talk to them that's what Don was saying to us isn't it last year people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care right so the next one this is a character in a book in one of Iris Murdoch's books The Bell, the abbess says this Ultimately, all our failures are failures to love. And I like that. So, how do we do it? Well, I want you to think of, as uh, we've talked about how we do it individually, I want you to think about collectively in your ecclesia. What's the most famous thing that you've ever read about love? Well, it's this, 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, let me read it to you. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. You know this, you've read it so many times, you read it at your wedding, I bet. Um, everybody does. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Is your ecclesia like this? Does this define your ecclesia? Are you always patient with people? I think sometimes we're not. We want people to, to come to an understanding of what we call the truth very quickly. We don't give them a lot of time to change, I think. Sometimes we're very impatient with people. It takes a lot of time for some people to make a change in their lives and sometimes we're in a hurry. What about kind? Does that define your ecclesia? Are you a kind community? Does that kindness reach out beyond the doors, beyond the walls of your church? One thing I like about Old Trafford is that it reaches into the community. Have a look at their website. 
and they're offering to go and dig people's gardens and do their shopping, look after their kids, entertain them. I think you're terrific here. I, I, I think you're absolutely terrific. Um, and that's what it should be doing. We should be kind in everyday things. Does your ecclesia keep no record of wrongs? Many of us do. And it's a defining characteristic of love. If the love of God is present in your ecclesia, then the grace of God is going to be visible and it's going to change people's lives. And when that happens, when all these things are expressed, we have the next slide, Pete. Pete's dozed off. Um, <laughs> right? This is what people see an attractive community. Keith Miller, in a book um, that I think Sylvia gave me a long time ago, says that the first century church, if you read Acts chapter 2, the first century church were an attractive community. People were drawn to them, he says, like a bee to a flower. There was something special about those people. People wanted to go and be with them. If your ecclesia is full of love, then people are going to want to come and be with you. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just checking the time because I, I couldn't remember when I was supposed to shut up. That's our challenge, I think, for tomorrow. And uh, there's a couple of slides here that I'm just not going to spend any time talking about at all. But, um, yes I am. <laughs> but not very long. I wanted just to show you in the Old Testament that this is not a New Testament idea. That all through the Old Testament the idea is that God is creating a community, a kingdom people. Okay? And it begins now. And it begins because of these covenantal words. God's covenant isn't just something that he gives to, to us. It's something which is expressed within us because of God's strength. And so all these things, mercy, loving kindness, justice, peace, peace righteousness, salvation, God gives to us as part of his covenant. And they're not ours just to keep, they're ours to give to other people. Let's put the next slide on, please, Pete. Um, you can see it in all kinds of ways in the Old Testament. But one of the ways is that there are, there are two words for salvation. There are two words for righteousness. There's a masculine and a feminine. And the masculine, whenever you read it in Scripture, is righteousness from God. You can't understand Paul's letter to the Romans unless you understand this, because the letter to the Romans is all about a righteousness from God. And it produces in us a kind of righteousness, which is to share and that word is sedekar. In, in Judaism, it means charity. It's a generosity of the Spirit, but God gives it to us to start with, and it's ours to share with other people. This is the challenge. Oh, sorry, you can ignore that one, thanks, Pete. And this is Romans. Well, I don't have time to talk about that, but if, if you want to understand Romans, understand the, these two words, because Romans is all about a righteousness that comes from God and then is active in our lives. Okay, next slide, Pete. Oh, we're going to sing that in a minute because this is our challenge tomorrow to show what a group of people look like when they have the presence of the living Lord Jesus within them. Jesus, at the Feast of Tabernacles, stood in front of this enormous 
candelabrum. Uh, you perhaps heard me talk about this before, but I love this. I just love this picture because um, at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, they had this uh, seven-branched candelabrum. Except they weren't just it wasn't just a thing like this. It was huge. They were like telegraph poles, and each telegraph pole had a barrel of oil on the top of it, and each barrel of oil had a wick. Don't ask me how I know this, but the wick was made from the worn-out vestments of the priests. <laughs> right? And so when they lit it, this was fantastic. It lit up the whole of the front of the temple. Remember, the temple is faced with gold. This must have been one of the most tremendous sights, I think, in the world at that time. And it was meant to remind people of the pillar of fire that led the people of Israel through the wilderness. And Jesus says to the people, you see that? That's all about me. I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. But he says something else in another place. He says, you people here, you're the light of the world. And you're going to take something of the Lord Jesus Christ into this dark world and you're going to make him known. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill, he says, cannot be hid. If this transforming relationship is real in your lives, you won't be able to hide it. It's going to show. It's going to show because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ present with us. And that's his promise. So there you are. That's about my manifesto. Christ-centred, Bible-based, active in love. I'd just clear off and change the world.